0: Named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living, and Eve means life. And Yahweh made clothing from skins for the man and his wife, and he clothed them. And Yahweh said, Since man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil, he must not reach out and take from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So Yahweh sent humanity away from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken outside the garden. He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and the flaming, whirling sword. East of the Garden of Eden to guard the way to the tree of life. We're at the end of our series on Genesis 1-3. through This is the last passage we're going to look at. J.R.R. Tolkien, who did The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, he said every story is really about Eden lost and Eden longed for. And today, this is the end of our series as humanity is kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Now we've talked about in Genesis how really Genesis was written to ancient Israelites and they were asking different questions than we're asking as modern readers. But the questions they were asking still impact our lives and our world today. The deepest desire of your heart is to live in close community with God, but we've been kicked out of that close community with God because of the things that we have done said how we've hurt others and hurt our world that god created bruce marshall said this when a man rings a bell at the brothel he's unconsciously looking for god and what tolkien said is at the heart of all of our stories at the heart of all of our longings is this desire to get back to eden to get back to close community with god When you watch a romantic comedy and someone is looking for that relationship that's gonna make all the chaos and all the mess in their life suddenly make sense, like, if I could just get that relationship, as much as that seems to be about the hunky dream guy who's a doctor, you know, and uh, everything, it's actually about this deep longing that we all have that if we've got this right relationship, if we could somehow get back to Eden, if we could get back, everything would be okay. Our world is full of people fighting and clawing and striving and searching, desperately looking for the peace that only can be found in the presence of God. The stories we tell, the lives we live, the longings we have are really all about Eden, about being disconnected from God, about humanity in exile, living east of Eden. So as we've looked at Genesis 1-3, through one of the things that happens is Uh, Genesis is presented by the author, or not Genesis, but Garden of Eden is presented in Genesis as a sacred space, as a meeting place between heaven and earth, between the spiritual world and the physical world, a gateway between us and God. The ancient Celts believed in thin places. Thin places they felt like were places where the veil between the spirit world and the physical world were thin. Um, I don't know about you, I find it hard to pray a lot of times. prayer is hard work. I've got to work at it, I've got to discipline myself to do it. In thin places, you almost can't help but pray. It's just a place, have you ever felt that when you're just like, I have to pray right now? This is just a place where I'm overwhelmed with something in this place. The air seems alive with energy. As the Celts were converted to Christianity, they built monasteries in these thin places to keep round the clock prayers being prayed. They imagine that their prayers in these desolate, thin places held back the chaos and the work of the enemy in the world. The Burren, we have a picture here, is a, uh, an example of one of these thin, thin places in Ireland and the Celts felt like this was a thin place. Like here, the veil between heaven and earth is thin. Garvey and I, when we went to Ireland a few years ago, we were uh, just a few miles down the road from there at the Cliffs of Borne. This picture does not do it justice. Um, Just being there, there's just something about how overwhelming it is. Like, it's so weird. It almost feels like if uh, some mythological beast crawled up the Cliffs of Mork, you'd just be like, that's normal. That belongs here. It just feels otherworldly. There's, according to the Celts, these thin places where heaven and earth just overlap a little bit, where the spiritual seems real and alive. Yes, we can pray anywhere, but place matters. Have you haven't been praying by yourself and it's just like so hard work, maybe you pray with somebody and it's like a room comes alive. Sometimes the person you pray with or the place you pray matters. Uh, Mark Batterson said a change of place, a change of pace can dramatically change your perspective. Sometimes our prayer life needs a change of pace and a change of place. When God tells the Israelites to meet him on a mountain, they hadn't traveled to the mountain. They just couldn't show up at any mountain and be like, is this one okay, God? You know, he told them a place to go. They passed other mountains to get to the one he picked. When God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, he just couldn't show up at another city and be like, can I just go here? Right? Sometimes God sends us to a place. There are moments where location matters, where God shows up in a place and being in the wrong place means missing him but back to the garden. All throughout the story, we've been given this temple imagery that the garden is a sacred space. The garden, as we've looked back over the last few weeks, is described as misty and there being sweet-smelling trees and gold and animals. Any temple in the ancient world had all of these elements. There was incense and there was gold. There was um, animals to be sacrificed. All these elements were pictures or elements of a temple. And at the center of every temple, in the most secure location, the focus of the temple was always an image of the being that was to be worshipped. You still go to temples in uh, East Asia today or in different parts of the world. At the center of a temple or shrine is always the thing that's to be worshipped. And in the center of the garden was this tree of life, this picture of God and his life-giving presence. But the text doesn't just present the Garden of Eden as a sacred space. As a temple, it presents Adam and Eve as priests working in the temple. It says that Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden to work in. Now this is interesting because the Hebrew word for work, Adova, is the same word for worship. Their word in Hebrew for work and worship are the exact same word. When we think about worship, we often think about music. And music, singing, is something that we use our bodies to worship. For, but for the Jewish people, all the work they did was worship. The work of expanding the garden was worship. Worship isn't just what happens on Sunday. Worship is what we do with our bodies every day that ends in Y. Your work is worship. Your worship is work. Now, I work at the Mainline Arts Center. One of my tasks there is I clean bathrooms at the Mainline Arts Center. Real prestigious, you know? like. People are like real impressed by that. Um, that doesn't feel like worship when I'm cleaning a bathroom. Uh, if it's really messy, it really doesn't feel like worship, right? Like, but it is because I am a temple. My body is a sacred space. The work I do with my body becomes worship to the God at the center of my temple. In First Corinthians six nineteen through twenty says, "Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit within you?" whom you received as a gift from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a high price. Therefore, honor God with what you do with your bodies. We are temples, and so what we do as a temple, what we do with our bodies is worship. But Adam and Eve, by working to expand the reach of the garden, by spreading order and beauty, they were worshiping the God who had given them the cast. They were expanding the sacred space of the temple, of the garden. They were expanding the boundaries of God's kingdom on earth. A temple or a shrine or any sort of sacred space is centered around one being, like I said. The garden of Eden was centered around Yahweh. It was all about him and his presence. But the priests of Yahweh, Adam and Eve, moved the focus from God to themselves. They said, can we cut God out of this? This is his sacred space. But can we skip God and get right to what we want without him? And so they turned the focus of the sacred space to themselves. They tried to make Eden about them, and in doing so, they lost Eden. A life focused on ourselves will always be the cheapest, least fulfilling life possible, because it is life farthest, farthest from the ideal of Eden, farthest from what we were created for—to be priests in the sacred presence of Yahweh. Now, as a result of their sin, mankind is kicked out of the garden. That's what we read about today. But their role as priests isn't over. Notice what he said. He sent them out to work outside of the garden. Work slash worship. They can't serve in the most intimate place in the temple anymore. But why? Like, as I read this, uh, especially when I was younger and I was reading the Bible for the first time, I was like, why doesn't God just say, oops, you know, mistakes happen, you know, spilled milk, let me wipe it up, and you're good. Let's just go back to what we were doing why couldn't God just let them stay? Um, I think real love demands real consequences when love is betrayed. If your spouse commits an act of infidelity and your response is, so what, it doesn't really bother me, it's probably not love, right? That's love must grieve a betrayal. God needed to grieve this break in trust. The intimacy of marriage is damaged. Uh, when the intimacy of marriage is damaged, it takes time to be repaired. The humans had betrayed God, and that relationship would need time to be repaired. They desecrated the sacred space so they were removed from the sacred space. If they were to return to it, it would be under the conditions that the Rama party set. It is the harm who sets require, requirements on reconciliation, not the one who did the offense. Like, if someone comes into your home and takes something from you, and then they come back, you're like, okay, we're going to have some rules about what you do and don't do because of what you did before so God dismisses humans from their posts in his cosmic temple, and he sets a guard on Eden. The space would be respected. He would be respected. And in just in case humans wanted to come in and cause more chaos in his presence, he placed cherubim to guard him. Now, when we hear cherubim or cherubs, what immediately comes into your mind?
1: Fat, chubby angel.
0: Yeah, fat, chubby eggs. Naked babies with wings and bows and arrows and hearts, Right? That's not the biblical picture of cherubs at all. Can you imagine the Garden of Eden? God's like, you have desecrated this sacred space. So he puts fat, chubby babies around it, and he's like, You won't want to mess with them. No, that's not what happened. Cherubs in the Bible are the most common angelic beings mentioned. And they're mentioned over 90 times. In some passages, they're described as the throne that God sits on, that somehow they fit together and actually form his throne. In Ezekiel, though, we have one of the most detailed descriptions of these these beings. And it describes them as all wings and all eyes. What a freaky, image! I think we have a, an artist's rendition of what that might look like. All wings, all eyes. And then there's this unusual line about a twirling sword of flame. And scholars really don't know what to make of this they're like what in the world is going on here some imagine this animated sword patrolling the edge of the garden kind of like the smoke monster from lost you know it's just like this burning thing running around keeping people out others think it's simply describing that the cherubim themselves had flaming swords and they're flying around guarding the entrance others see this as a reference to judgment from god fire is often an ancient picture of judgment um, But regardless of what it is, the author clearly wants us to see it as a giant flaming sign that says, keep out" or beware of God. You don't want to come in here. This is serious. Don't mess around. And so the humans venture outside the gardens. They're sent out to the wild and waste, the dirt outside of the garden where man was formed. But their role as priest is not over. It says he sends them out to work. He sends them out to adava to worship, to work outside of the garden. Um, and so eventually, God establishes the Jewish people, and He establishes a tabernacle, a mobile meeting place with His people. He says, "Okay, we're still going to have community with Me. I'm not completely dismissing you. You're still going to act as priests." Then ultimately, He makes a temple in Jerusalem, and in these sacred spaces, priests worked. They sacrificed animals and lit flames. They prayed and collected money for their poor, for the poor. Their work was their worship. Their worship. Was their work now in the tabernacle and in the temple? A heavy curtain separated the temple courts from the holy of holies, where God's presence would show up. The sacredest space in the sacred space of the temple or the tabernacle. Once a year, the high priest would go into the holy of holies, where the presence of God would appear. They would actually put bells on the bottom of his clothes, so if he went in there and he died, they would know. Like if they heard bells, they're like still alive bell stopped, they're like, oh, he's dead. Because going into the presence of God wasn't something to take lightly, it wasn't something to mess around with, they would tie a rope onto his foot because only the high priest could enter the presence of God, and if he didn't do it right, he would die, and they would drag him out by the rope because they couldn't go in there and get him. Um, if he failed to take the whole thing seriously, if he failed to examine himself and follow the right protocols, he would die in the presence of now, urban legend says that Van Halen, when he would go, the band would go to do a show. It's such a natural transition, right, between High Priest Dying and Van Halen. When Van Halen would go and do a show, they would send a contract to the venue. Uh, some people say it's urban legend. Some people say it's true. And they included this line that there there couldn't be a bowl of there had to be a bowl of M&Ms backstage, but there could be no brown M&Ms in the bowl. And. Uh, This was not because they hated brown M&M's or because the other flavors taste better, even though orange is the best M&M flavor. Um, This was because they said, if people read the contract closely and seriously, they would not have brown M&M's But if we walked in and we knew, we saw there was a bowl of M&M's and there were brown M&M's, we knew, they did not read this seriously. They were not serious about us being here. They did not take our contract seriously, and they did not take us seriously as a bank. And so when God has all these restrictions on coming back into his presence, it's not because he's just like, I don't like brown M&Ms and we're going to do things my way. He is saying, you've desecrated my sacred presence before. If you're going to come back in, you better be serious about this. You better take me seriously, and you better take this seriously. I don't have to let you back in, but I want to let you back in. So let's do it the right way. The priest would take the blood from a sacrificed lamb and drop it before the altar of God, acknowledging that as humans, we knew our sins always brought death. Our sins had consequences. It was a yearly reminder that we remembered that what we did mattered. We've messed up this relationship before, and we wanna take it seriously. And we want this relationship and we're willing to do whatever it takes to restore what we broke. Now, this continued for thousands of years and with no sign of stopping. And then Jesus came along and everything changed. When Jesus shows up, everything changed. Matthew twenty-seven fifty through 51, it says, When Jesus cried out in a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. At that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Earthquaked. Rocks were slid open. The veil, dividing the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, the most sacred space from the rest of the temple, was ripped and two. This space where God's presence appeared and where people feared to enter, this veil was torn by the death of Jesus. The veil between heaven and earth was torn. In Exodus 26 and Exodus 36 and 2 Chronicles 3, as they're establishing The tabernacle and the temple, they tell us that this veil was made of blue and purple and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen, and it bore on it images of cherubim. On the edge of the Holy of Holies were these images of cherubim. It's essentially a picture of inside here is Eden. Inside here is the relationship, the community with God that you want, but cherubim garden. So you better enter in seriously, carefully. The closed side on Eden, though, got flipped over to a come on in or open side when Jesus died. Jesus called off the cherubim. Mankind could get back into the sacred place where God was through Jesus by becoming his apprentices, by believing that he was God sent by God to rescue us. We can enjoy community with Yahweh again. He died our death so that we might live his life. We live east of Eden, but our work... Our worship still expands Eden into offices and restaurants and construction sites and schools and nonprofits and banks and tech companies. We work and we worship and we worship and we work. We spread toad, order, and beauty. We live and love like Jesus and it saves the world. Colossians 3 23 through 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the lord not for human masters since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the lord as a reward it is the lord jesus you are working for. now over the next few weeks i'm going to ask different people to come up at the end of the service and just share about their work and how we can pray for them as they expand the sacred space of yahweh in their place of work because our work is their worship our worship work. I've asked for this first week Al to come up, and I'm just going to ask him some questions about his work and how that aligns with his Christian faith, and then how we can pray for him. Al, uh, thanks
1: so much for being willing to be my first meeting, Dave. Oh, no problem. I always enjoy being a good guinea pig. So tell us about the work you do about uh, First, of all, I want to say, uh, Pastor thank you so much for um, this opportunity to share be part of the, the message today. And just that we really enjoyed this series and, and uh, learning more about uh, our work and our worship. I love that. Um, so about my work. I'm a teacher. I'm a middle school teacher at a Christian school in Philadelphia. And so I am very busy. And, and, uh, and my work day is never boring. What are some issues you're facing? Um, well, I, I, being a teacher, especially this year with uh, all the different restrictions with COVID, it's been a roller coaster ride. We've been virtual, we've been in person, we've had all these restrictions and changes, and so that, that has brought um, just a level of uh, unfamiliarity. Teachers like routine, yeah. you know, students like routine, and so this year has been <laughs> anything but routine. Um, and so, so, dealing with that, students sometimes can um, act out in different ways. And so, you know, having uh, patience to respond, not react, to how uh, students can act out, and also, uh, um, you know, I like to plan and be a, and, and just have my day planned out. Sometimes you can't plan. You know, sometimes you just gotta like allow the Holy Spirit and uh, and trust that God will be in favor with your coworkers and parents you know, as a teacher. Sometimes it's, it's easier for me to deal with students than it is with parents. Like, I'll deal with students all day long, man. But sometimes, you know, those parents at whole other level, but, uh, you know, just trusting God and grace in those, in those situations.
0: This a little bit. Yeah. You know, but does your thing make a difference in how you deal with the issues you just
1: talked about? Yeah, especially this year. Uh, this year, more than any other year, uh, we had a change in leadership. Uh, our principal uh, made a transition. And I was very close to the principal, uh, great boss. She was a great boss. And it's, it's hard to find a new boss. You know, I think people leave bosses. They don't leave jobs, you know. And, uh, and so it left me with a lot of unknown and what was going to come next. And I was almost debating whether or not to stay at the school, you know. But I felt, when I would pray, I just felt like, God, keep reminding me stay. Don't leave. Stay. Trust me. Trust me. And uh, we have a new principal, and it's great. There's a, our school's on a really great trajectory. And there's sometimes times right, when I get nervous about what's going on next year. You know, there's always this tension of like, working like it depends on me, and trusting like it depends on God. So there's always that balance and tension to, to live in and it can be difficult sometimes, but God's always faithful. How can we pray for you and your basic you in Uh, I I appreciate any kind of prayer. Any prayer is good prayer, um, but, you know, some, something that I always think about when, um, you know, I can use prayer is always just pray for grace, pray for favor, you know, um, I just favor with my students, with uh, the families and, and other teachers, and, and grace when I get it wrong, you know, sometimes teachers don't always have the right answers, so I, I appreciate that uh, those prayers of grace to, uh, you know, God fill in those blanks
0: and those things that I miss. Let's uh, let's pray for Al and his worship. Jesus, thank you so much that you hear us when we pray. Thank you so much that worship is not something we do once a week. It's something we do every time we get out of bed, every time we're in our bodies. Where we walk, where we talk, where we walk. God, I pray for Al that you bless him and his students. Bless them in the classroom. Bless him with all these relationships, these minds that he's molding for the future. Bless him with the parent relationships, with other, relationships with other teachers. God, I pray that you will just fill him with your Holy Spirit. That he'll sense your presence and your power. That he'll know that the work that he's doing is worship and that it matters and that it's meaningful and that you're with him. Lord, the most mundane things, the things that he doesn't enjoy or the, the moments that are most difficult, may you remind him that you are with him and that he's doing it all for you. And I pray these things like in Jesus Christ.